Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. 616. In Ordal's name, in Andon's name, watch over me. Their leader turned his head as if to search the sky for something. Something about the motion seemed terribly familiar, but my thoughts were growing muddy as binders chills tightened their grip. The bandit leader turned and bounded for the tent, disappearing inside. Shoot the tree, I screamed. He let the arrow fly, and I saw it wedged firmly into the trunk of the massive oak that loomed in the center of the bandit's camp. I scrabbled in the mud for one of Martin's scattered arrows and began to laugh at what I was going to attempt. It might do nothing. It might kill me. The slippage alone. But it didn't matter. I was dead already unless I found a way to get warm and dry. I would go into shock soon. Perhaps I was already there. My hand closed on an arrow. I broke my mind six ways and shouted my bindings as I drove it deep into the sodden ground. As above, so below, I shouted, making a joke only someone from the university could hope to understand. A second passed. The wind faded. There was a whiteness, a brightness, a noise. I was falling, then nothing. And that's the page! I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. It's sad that Quoth is dead, but fitting, you know. <laughs> Sigh. Uh, yeah, what he a really, loss. Uh, yeah, he he really went out the way he lived, you know, not really understanding what was going on. <laughs> um, and uh, he has that in common with me because I'm not exactly sure what he's trying to accomplish here and how it accomplishes uh, calling the lightning. I, yeah, the six ways. I'm, I'm sure someone somewhere has broken this down on Reddit or something, the six-way binding. I'm not sure I get it either, uh, but it seems like it's accomplishing a couple things. Like We know he calls lightning, obviously. Uh, what it accomplishes is uh, probably rain's destruction upon the, the bandit's uh, tent and also gives him some of the heat. It, <laughs> he's probably you know giving himself a big shock. Uh, because he's holding the the uh, the other the arrow, right? He's binding the arrows yeah, no, together. I, I understand that he's binding the arrowheads to something. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not clear either. He... I I don't really have the energy to do the the, the Google requires. It won't be a cursory Google. So I call upon you, the listener, to explain to us what's going on with Quoth's six way binding here. Uh, also, I don't totally get the joke he's making. I never have really gotten this joke. Well, uh, they, I do seem to recall that at the university, they talk about everything, like kind of the way that, um, you know, physics does like everything. There has to be a balance for everything you do. There's going to be a, a reaction as above, so below. But that's also a very old saying in like European magical th- systems, magical thinking that, uh, I, you know, and it, 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 it also is like a Christian context to it you know as as things are above in heaven so they are in hell you know as things are in earth they're reflected like in the in the in the otherworldly as above so below has that kind of meaning to it you'll hear it invoked a lot in like spells and stuff uh, that makes sense but uh, heaven and hell are, are quite different well you know what sing me a song and you're a singer nick 
A cursory Google tells us that it has its roots in Hermeticism. Just saying. Yeah, well, Hermeticism is a is a is a magical. You're system. a magical system. That's true. <laughs> I guess that was more of a compliment than it was an insult, wasn't it? <laughs> but I think what the main thing is that really Quoth is doing this to like save his own life. I guess like I think it's it. I'm not sure. Like I guess it solves all his problems at once, which is really quite nice, and also uh, gives a great story to tell, as we'll learn in the next chapter. But um, there's something else going on here, which we we cannot overlook, and it's that uh, the bandit leader likely cinder has heard something something familiar similar to the way that all the chandrian looked up uh when after they killed quoth's parents i think before escaping into haliax's robe and uh gets away and i think it's quite likely that all of these uh names that are being chanted by martin are summoning something Tello and his angels, perhaps. Tello, who was Menda, Peril, Ordal, Anden. Or, you know, more than that, you know, what if those are actually the Chandrian and he's speaking the names of the Chandrian? What if Cinder is working at cross purposes to the other Chandrian now and they're being summoned? And then also, you know, this is maybe a possibly related, unclear, but like, what if the lightning is called not by Quoth, but by Martin? What if the lightning is a symptom or even the arrival of the angels? Hmm. Well, wait, okay, so if it's if it's that, then that means that Quoth didn't cause it, though. Yeah, exactly. So then what the fuck is Quoth doing? <laughs> um, so I have an explanation for that. Uh, he's making a lightning rod, right? He's He's got Martin to shoot the uh, the arrow into the tree, and then he is binding that arrow to all the arrows that are scattered on the ground around him from Martin's quiver spilling. And he's trying to make them all the same uh, thing and draw the lightning to that. Cause as we all know, lightning is drawn to uh, it's going to strike metal. That's how lightning rods work. So even though uh, he doesn't he know when the lightning is it coming into the ground. Well, I, yeah, I guess he knows that it's possible that lightning is coming. Um, so maybe he's like, as you say, he's binding it to all the arrows and then pressing it to the ground so that it's it's, it's a better circuit. It's better grounded. Mm-hmm. I don't know about the other arrows, but maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised you guys didn't want to talk about the whole Telu is the lightning thing. But uh, I, I mean, I I just I think that's a little bit too far fetched. Wait, me how to, is Telu the lightning? Believe? Because he's like a god figure and he's like a, yeah he's know, he's like pulling a divine. Zeus yeah oh, it's like a divine a uh, attack yeah exactly <laughs> we've all seen that sequence in Fantasia where Zeus wakes up on Mount Olympus and just chucks lightning down at uh, Dionysus's ass <laughs> his bare ass whom amongst us has not from time to time um, yeah like that's certainly possible and like it would be very like Rothfuss to to let us and Quoth think that he accomplished summoning the lightning and then for him to find out a book from now, oh no, that was God. God did that uh, yeah. because your friend was praying. Yeah. But um, I, I, uh, I just don't think that that's likely. Well, then why is Cinder running away? Because I don't think Cinder wants to get hit by lightning. You think Cinder's like, oh, his... lightning's going to strike here. Better get into my tent. I I think Cinder has seen his his 
bandits, you know, falling apart around him. And he, and like all good supervillains, he's decided that the better part of valor is discretion. Then how come he can uh, figure out immediately where they are because he hears Martin praying? Oh, I absolutely think that he can, that like Telu's name means something to him. And when he's naming the angels, that's, you know, something similar to when the Chandrian hear their own names. I think that's like completely reasonable uh, because the evidence of the text uh, points to that having like a one-to-one relationship. But uh, there's no evidence of a one-to-one relationship between the prayer and the lightning. Well, except for the fact that the prayer happens and then the lightning happens. Right, but there's also another more likely explanation for the lightning happening, which is that Quoth makes it happen by making a sympathetic lightning rod. Or like the fact that it's a thunder and lightning storm and it might just have happened. I mean, the odds of the lightning picking that exact moment, if the explanation for it, for the lightning, is that they just got lucky, that's really annoying. <laughs> that is a deus ex machina. Yeah, okay, fair. <laughs> right, like... I think the other bit of evidence is that Quoth is barely holding it together. Like, he's already totally spent. Maybe he's actually not capable of this binding, but he thinks he managed to do it. Yeah, and he he admits later on that, like, he's not quite sure how he did it. So, I think that that is all seeding the idea, like, that's, that's foreshadowing the idea that maybe he didn't cause the lightning strike. But until we know that for sure, I am not going to countenance it. Well, Jordana, I think we're just about finished on this page. All right, I have my final note. This is the end of a chapter. And this chapter was called Flame, Thunder, Broken Tree. Wait, did a tree break in this? When did it? Did, well, it it like, literally just broke, though, right? Yeah. Because I feel like they didn't actually say that it broke. Well, usually when I trees get hit by can... lightning, they break. Yeah, but it doesn't specifically state that. Yeah, well, we're about to find out two chapters from now that it fine. did, so... Fine, fine, reasonable. I guess that is the broken tree that it speaks of. Yes, and of course, these are the the double meanings of Quoth's name in Edemic. Yes, this, these are all things that can mean Madra. Or that Madra can mean, rather. And it's possible that this is where he... This incident is where he acquires that nickname, right? If Tempe goes back to the other Adam and says, hey, this guy called lightning down and broke a tree and he has red hair like flame, I think we should call him Madra. Like, that's that seems likely enough to me. Yeah, that's, that's reasonable. <laughs> I mean, it could be. I, I feel like the Adam have a bit more ritual in their naming. Um, also, you know, this whole book is about naming and the importance of naming and the ritual of naming. But hey, it could be. It could be just like, you know, if Jeremy gets uh, inducted into the the ADM, he'll be like comic book, <laughs> comic book kid. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Nerd, whatever the ADM for nerd is, but like nerd brackets pejorative. Um, <laughs> Speaking of pejorative, uh, we have a letter today from Manuel. Wow. Who writes on Hespi's story <laughs> from Punished Manuel? Greetings, pagers. I stand chastened. <laughs> from now on, my writing will be much less well windy. And now, uh, you know, I, I think that you're saying this because we, we, I did mention like, oh, we get some long letters, and you know, you're more likely to read your letter if it's shorter. I didn't mean to call you out specifically, uh, Manuel, about you know, you're, you're you happen to have a long letter at that time, but I'm not asking you particular to 
to shorten your letter. So I apologize if I gave offense, but by all means, write what your heart is telling you. And now we on like to the, long letter on this the meat of the letter. Yeah, we love a long letter. To the point, imagine Hespi telling the story of Jax as if she believes it's to be a romantic love story. These books often explore the space between love and possession. And when you get down to it, how much do we actually know about Hespi? I don't necessarily subscribe to this reading, but the idea struck me this time through, and I thought it was an interesting thought experiment slash character study. Signed, The Baron of Brevity, a.k.a. Manuel. That's a good point. That like Maybe all Hespi knows of romance is this story. Maybe this is like one way, and part of why it's so important to her is that it's sort of like a way of communicating her interest in Dayton. I don't think that's likely because the story, the way the narrator tells the story does not make it very romantic. It's, yeah, that's it's pretty, uh, it's pretty, even with the neutral tone that the narrator strikes, because the narrator is very careful not to entirely condemn uh, Jax. It's still pretty melancholy. Like no one could say if he's happy or not. She's like shut up in the, you know, in the box. Like none of that really screams romance to me. Yeah, I'm kind of with Jeremy on this one. I don't really feel the romance. Although it's yeah, an I'm interesting not saying concept. It's like, I'm not saying it's, yeah. I, I think, and I, I'm not saying, and I think our, our writer is not saying that like, it is a romantic story, but just like there is a relationship to like misunderstanding romance with possession and vice versa in this book like that is kind of a recurring i don't want to say theme something we maybe overuse but it's like or it's like a leitmotif almost it's like you know whatever the the prosaic version of a leitmotif is leitmotif it's pronounced leitmotif isn't it who knows it's not english yeah leitmotif as whereas heavy motifs are are much more uh clear what they mean our Uh, our german um, listeners are going to be so mad at you Uh, yes. Uh, if we have any German listeners, write in because I would be really interested. I would like, I'd want to add your pin to the big board of where our listeners are from. I don't remember what I was saying. Uh, but <laughs> good. Uh, That's mission accomplished. Yeah. I think my argument would be that H- Hespi does not otherwise strike me as the kind of character who would find a story about like kidnapping and possessiveness particularly romantic. So I don't think there's any reason to believe that she fu- that sh- this story reflects her idea of romance. Reasonable. I'm willing to sit on the fence on this well, one. Big oh, what a- surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, uh, you can tune in for more shocking updates from our podcast on tomorrow's page. Of the Wind. 616.